Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Y Football Podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adorgru. This week, with the 2022 African Cup of Nations on the horizon, we take a look at Nigeria, their surprise performances in the 90s, issues currently with the NFF, Football Federation, and dual heritage, African players in Europe, and we'll discuss whether the Super Leagues will ever rise again. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Earcast, and YouTube. Eches, how are you doing? Yes, good mate. Um, I bought Football Manager ooh, a week ago, a week and a half ago. I've already completed mm. one and a half seasons. Um, <laughs> so it shows, shows how my time has been going. I'm deciding to bring Nottingham Forest to the big time. Um, ah. Yeah, i.e. Uh, Premier League and further Champions League glory is the ultimate aim. Um, but yeah, it's, go, it's going well so far, so I'm in pretty good spirits. We've just had the uh, winter break, which I assume they're going to implement next year. So from November, I think it's November 15th to Boxing Day, I don't have a game because of the World Cup, um, which, I, okay. which I assume will be the case for us this coming winter or next year, sorry. Um, when obviously the World Cup kicks off, a bit boring to be honest because you just have like a four week break and you've got nothing to really do. Um, well, aside from watching the World Cup, but mm. it'll be interesting to see how they even do it league wise because that's what I've thought about quite a lot. So, obviously, in the Prem, that will affect a fair few players of, of each side, but then I will League One and League Two continue. I don't know, yeah, I'm not sure. I think for the EFL as well as the Prem, they're bringing the season kind of starting the season a lot earlier. I think it also applies to the EFL, but yes, with the championship, it will still apply because you will have players not being able to compete because they might be at the World Cup. Yeah. League One, League Two might be that might not be the case. So yeah, it's 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 a pod, it's a pod episode in itself, actually. That's what it is. Yeah, it is. This is a very good point. And anyway, Jordan, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Santa Claus was uh, was kind. I didn't get Football Manager. I'm still on Football Manager 2020 with a, a, Dar- a Darlington save that is now in 2028. Yeah. So I think, I feel as if either I want to take this one on, you know, you see them guys on YouTube, oh, sorry, on Twitter. Not that I follow loads of football manager accounts, but the ones I do, it'll have some guy who like, is like Aberdeen manager in the year like 2056. And they've got like an 80,000 seat stadium. I feel like that's what I want to do with Darlo. Or I'll just suck it off and that'll be it. I don't think I want to start again um, <laughs> because yeah, it just takes over, man. Like, as you've, you've done, I know it's a Christmas period, but you've spent a lot of time recently on it. And I just think, you know, going forward, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I just think I'm probably not going to buy it again. Who knows? I might have, like a, I might have, I might have two kids and I might change my mind. But, um, but yeah, got, got an Apple Watch to assist me with my running and all of daily activities. So that's very nice. But, um, yeah, it's been quite a chilled festive period, which has been needed because since like restrictions, I, I know it's like for quite a lot of this year, we've had the restrictions have been have been lifted and we've been able to come back out and socialise a bit. It's just been manic, man, particularly the Christmas period because everyone was making up from last year and it was just crazy. So it's been good to chill and we'll be doing so until Jan when we have some exciting plans lined up um, on the pod. Very true. But, very, very true indeed. But actually, aside from our exciting plans in the future, let's talk about our exciting pod today. So why this episode? Right, so as uh, many of you know, um, I'm an Arsenal fan, um, shock. Um, funny enough, I didn't pick them a football manager, but that's a story for another day. Uh, but I'm also Nigerian as well, and uh, with African Cup of Nations coming up, I kind of wanted to do an episode on that, and particularly focus on Nigeria, who 
kind of um, mirror England in a way. Um, football mad in a sense, um, but always kind of flattered to deceive England less so recently, but definitely for decade after decade, probably since 66. Um, you know, current holders in AFCON Algeria, they knocked out Nigeria in the semi-finals uh, last time. Mahrez with a screamer in the last mm. minute. Um, Nigeria ended up finishing third place after they beat Tunisia. And Nigeria have actually come third eight times in the competition, mm. uh, which is mad in, in itself. Yeah, they've only won it three times um, overall. Pele famously said an African country would win the World Cup by the year 2000, which kind of ties into this point um, around what we're going to talk about, particularly Nigeria in the 90s, where by what happened you know uh nigerians are football mad you know it's one of the most popular countries in the world home to so many stars including jj kocha you know formerly of bolton and psg and Eintracht frankfurt carney played for a whole wealth of teams uh ajax as well as arsenal portsmouth Teribo west who played for both the milans uh Oshimen, who currently is starring for napoli mm. villarreal finity george who played for ajax as well as well as ipswich town joseph yobo joseph yobo again everton everton <laughs> stronghold wilfred and diddy who's one of the better premier league midfielders at leicester Genovi mikel and sunday olise as well so it's kind of looking into why Nigeria have constantly faltered on biggest stages and not dominated even on the continent and to see whether that'll change anytime soon. Yeah, I've been on Google quite a lot for this episode whilst looking at your notes and adding some stuff in because um, my knowledge about, of Nigeria needs to improve and, and has done going through this, but population of over 200 million, which is which is massive, seventh largest population in the world, um, which I knew there, it was a large country, country with a large population, but I didn't realise it was that that extensive um you did forget to mention from that list of stars the legend that is the yak yakubu mm, uh, speed, speed the yak and he will score yeah. speed the yak and he'll score uh, oh, i'm not too sure how amazing he ever was but he was yeah, it was a decent premier league striker it was kind of your standard everton striker back when they were kind of like a fifth sixth seventh place team um you also forgot to mention another star victor anichibi um former teammate of yakubu and the reason i mentioned him <laughs> Bit of a sidetrack, but do you remember when he played for Sunderland and his like uh, social media manager, whoever it was, PA, mm. told him to, well, basically told him what to tweet, which probably happens with a lot of players, mm. but he forgot to take off the tweet something like. So he, the tweet was like, tweet something like, how are the lads? <laughs> and it was so embarrassing. He's quite like a, he's quite like a jovial character. I think he came back from it quite well. Um, and he was only with us for a brief period. So I kind of felt sorry for him because he wouldn't how know. Weird, how weird that <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. I think uh, Anichibi really ties in well to the point I'm going to make later on about dual nationality players um, and, and kind of how they work in, in terms of how Nigeria potentially loses out on quite a few. Uh, Yakubu was very unfortunate to miss the list. I think uh, the forwards I mentioned probably are of um, higher quality. Obviously, Kanu um, won the, I think he won the Champions League at Ajax. Um, I think he played at Inter as well, as well as Arsenal, and was part of the Invincibles. And obviously, uh, Oshimen um, is at, starring at Napoli and is currently the most expensive African player of all time. Maybe the most expensive Nigerian. I can't remember if him or Pepe is more money. I think he was. He went for about seventy million. Pepe is a bit higher than that, but definitely mm. top two or three. Um, so yeah, it kind of uh, remains to be seen. 
Yeah, tongue and cheek around Yakubu. I don't think he was as strong as as uh, Carnu and Akocha. Um, but also, just a quick shout out to former Sunderland midfielder Dixon Atuhu. What a man giant he was. Um, and also, on your point, Josh Maja, um, he is of Nigerian descent. And given his age, uh, I'm not too sure what he's up to now since leaving Sunderland, but he would be one in that kind of dual heritage argument, potentially, if he ever kicked on. He had that 4 at Fulham uh, last season. Um so yeah, so that'll be a good point we're coming to. Yeah, well, that, that's yeah, yeah, we'll definitely touch on it as well because uh, yeah, there are a few players like that um, to kind of talk about. So moving on to the nineties, which is kind of Nigeria's golden era, unfortunate era. I can't remember; I was I was a bit too young. Mm. Um, the Nigerians made their name on the world stage um, during the nineties as they reached the highest rank of fourth in the world in uh, June nineteen ninety four. Mm. Uh, they also had two great World Cups in 94 and 98, where they played scintillating attacking football, causing major upsets along the way. The 94 tournament saw them line up against the Bulgarians. You had Stoichkov in their ranks, uh, Argentina and, and Greece. Uh, Nigeria beat uh, Bulgaria, narrowly lost to Argentina and beat Greece 2-0 to top the group before losing to Italy in the round of 16 uh, in extra time 2-1 with Baggio scoring the 88th and 102nd, which is... Uh, that's mm. really hard, like 88, 88 minutes on the clock and you're winning 1-0. That's, uh, that's, yeah. that's a tough one to swallow. Um, but for a, a World Cup debutant, you know, this put Nigeria on the map. Uh, you know, they surprised many with their talent and ability in the world stage. I mean, they did lose to Argentina, but to top that group, you know, you would have thought they'd probably be coming in to come last. Um, to then take on Italy, who I believe got to the final of that tournament as well, is also an incredible achievement as well. This was followed by gold at the 96 Olympic Games, which I think from a European glaze, uh, gaze, sorry, we kind of always, you know, we don't really take it that seriously. But I know the South, mm. Amer- the South Americans and the Africans in particular tend to take it quite seriously. Uh, Nigeria yeah. actually beat Argentina in the final and that side had Crespo, Diego Simeone, Ortega, Javier Zanetti and Ayala uh, to name a few. They actually beat Brazil 4-3 in the semi-finals on golden goal which is mm. which is mad. You know, obviously golden goals retired a podcast on that a very long time ago now yeah uh the likes of the the original ronaldo the original r9 was playing dida roberto carlos and rivaldo uh with Bebeto and janinio the middlesbrough janinio uh mm. if you remember boys that, that is yeah, the boys. Yeah. yeah the middlesbrough janinio yeah, yeah it's always one of those players that just like like the janinio that played for um psg just seemed to be like revered but didn't really do a great deal apart from the Janino of PSG scoring. Or was it Leon he played for? Leon, Leon, Leon. Leon, Leon um, scoring absolute worldy free kicks almost. He, he scored week so week many. He scored far too many. So yeah, kind of Nigeria at that point, you know, they're buzzing. They won the AFCON in 94, had a very good World Cup, won the Olympic gold in 96. So then along kind of came the 98 World Cup in France and they entered a group with Spain, Bulgaria again, and Paraguay. This is where Nigeria famously beat Spain 3-2 and Bulgaria before losing to Paraguay, having already qualified. Spain were actually dumped out of the tournament from that. Uh, Nigeria were favourites in their last 16 game against Denmark. But they ended up losing 4-1, with former AC and uh, Inter Milan defender Tribo West stating that most of the squad parted in booze days before the round 16 win, uh, loss, sorry, uh, with women said to have entered the camp, um, which kind of ties into uh, a point I'm going to mention later on about the professionalism and also organisation of the Nigerian squad. And obviously with that information, it's no surprise that they got stuffed. Yeah, it kind of screams of a maybe it's like a side that it's just come through in the nineties. It's not tasted success before in the international stage, and so it's just 
you've got A, it's a, it's a big deal, and B, maybe not having got the kind of maturity of organization that we'll come on to touch on. But even so, like, that was a time when um, even in the most developed leagues, there was you know, issues we saw in the English game around uh, alcohol consumption, um, not necessarily during tournaments, but, you know, during league campaigns with the old Arsenal boozers, as we we'll call them. Obviously, we had the Gaza dentist chair before the Euro 96 <laughs> tournament and all the players going out. Uh, so it was a time when, like, for, alcohol wasn't encouraged, but it was not particularly frowned upon. Players would go out quite a lot. But, you know, jokes aside, it, it's such a shame because that, that lack of discipline has potentially inhibited such a talented side from going so far um, on the world stage. Uh, funnily, going back to Tiriba West, Thierry Henry said he was the hardest defender he ever faced in his career. What does he mean by hard, though? Does he mean As wouldn't want to fight or most just tough? Most difficult to come Oh, most difficult. Yeah. Which was really interesting. They asked him very recently, actually, on a Match of the Day, article, uh, match, not Match of the Day, Sky Sports piece. And then they were asking the most difficult opponent faced, best player they played with. Um, it was him and Carragher. They gave quite a standard answer. But yeah, Henri said it was Tiro West. They clashed uh, during Henri's time at Monaco when Tiro West was at Auxerre. Um, mm. Before he went on to, Tiro West went on to play for Inter AC, Derby on loan. Um, <laughs> and then Plymouth Argyle eventually, and then a few other clubs as well, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, allegedly, uh, John Terry said that Kenwyn Jones was. Um the hardest player that he'd ever played against, allegedly. Ken this is Jones. a rumour. He was also a Sunderland player and, you know, obviously, given I'm a Sunderland fan, I'm around the rumour mill quite a lot. Yeah, you so are. A, lot of, a lot of crap could be, <laughs> could come yeah. out of that mill. Yeah, that's, very, <laughs> that's a good point, to be fair. I kind of, since the, that golden period in the 90s, and Nigeria flattered to the sea, but they were piss poor in the 2002 World Cup, uh, coming bottom of the group, didn't qualify for 2006 and failed to leave the group in 2010. The quality of the sides during that time have been questionable. Obviously, stars like JJ Kocha have been in most of those sides, but the quality around them has not quite been the same. Um, you know, many of the talents have failed to live up to the hype, such as Victor Obinna, who was formerly at Inter Milan as a youth, as well as Joel Obi. Um, a last 16 spot was secured in the 2014 World Cup, but they were unconvincing in the group stage, to be honest, and uh, France comfortably dumped them out. Um, the 2018 tournament, they failed to qualify again. It was better, but, you know, it wasn't particularly outstanding. But there were the makings of a potential new group coming through, which have, which have grown since that last tournament. That could potentially say maybe Nigeria have a bit more to be able to achieve in the years to come. I think the current crop are marred by similar issues that previous squads have struggled with. But the question we're going to kind of dive into is uh, what those issues are and whether they can rise above them. Yeah, absolutely. I think... For someone like myself, for example, who, who's English, who grew up in England, and his, his knowledge of the, of whose knowledge of African national sides, national and African football generally during that that time would have been very limited. Um, it, as a kind of someone growing up in this country, I don't think Nigeria were ever kind of perceived as being like a strong footballing nation. Um, for for those again with limited knowledge, that's largely as you mentioned because they, because kind of a lack of success at World Cup level um, from the two thousand onwards. I think Senegal and Ghana are the only two to have reached the quarters. Um, Ghana going out to Uruguay and I was absolutely devastated because of Luis Suarez's antics and the fact that he's just a, a bit of a knob. Um, <laughs> but growing up, it was kind of a lot of the stars in England. You know, you had Drogba, yeah, Toure, Kolo Toure, all, all represented Ivory Coast, uh, likes of Michael Essien. 
um, represented Ghana. Obviously, you had the likes of Carney, but he was still kind of a little bit before kind of our time in a sense that for you, less so because you're an Arsenal fan, but for myself, you know, he was like a, a 90s footballer. Um, and obviously, the legend Asimo Jean representing Ghana as well. But yeah, so I think just the point is Nigeria is a, I think in this country, it kind of in the last, say, 20 years, haven't been perceived as a strong football nation, but hopefully that's about to change. No, I completely agree with you because, as I said, the squad's kind of gone for a lull. We had JJ Kocha. We got JJ Kocha in the twilight of his career. At that time, he was 30-odd when he came to the Premier League and with probably, even they had some great highlights, it's probably slightly part mm. of the actual best days. Yeah, We're talking about Kanu's best period of time. We're talking Kanu's peak was probably the late 90s, early 2000s. Again, by the time we were really watching football, so early 2000s, when the Invincibles happened, he was also probably past his best. You know, we saw him at Portsmouth. You know, he probably wasn't the force he once was in the mid to late 90s, especially early 2000s. So the, the big Nigerians in terms of player profile that I discussed in that list earlier were either players that predominantly played in the 90s or ones now. As in ones literally mm, talking about yeah. a very recent crop of players because there was a big lull. I mean, there were times I used to watch Nigeria play and we've got John Obi Mikel as our best player and he's mm. the most exciting player around. Whereas I look at the team now, especially in the forward areas, there's some some really talented individuals. In Inacho is one I did mention as well uh, in that early list as well. So I'll kind of go into that. Yeah, But the first uh, main reason why Nigeria have all of these problems is the Nigerian Football Federation, which uh, in short is a, a joke. Many African sides, Nigeria aren't alone, struggle with their federations, not paying bonuses or their coaches properly. But in Nigeria's case, this has caused loads of issues in the past. Uh, the squad threatened to strike uh, in 2019 over a bonus uh, row related to the 18 World Cup. A similar issue happened in the lead up to the 14 World Cup with the president of the country getting involved to quell the problem. Former head coach Gerhard Rohr, who was recently sacked uh, by Nigeria for lackluster performances, in particular against weak opposition, as well as questionable selection calls, um, was said to be paying some of his own staff out of his own pocket uh, while not being paid himself for months at a time. And I think this really ties in well to similarities with England, not in terms of how the FA are run, but in terms of England got their act together with England's DNA. You know, we did the podcast on that well over a year ago looking into like what England have tried to do in terms of build youth from under 16 level up, you know, um, and it's, it's beginning to work. You know, we, we're seeing we are, there are types of profiles in the English game, which I don't think we'd seen for a very long time. And now it's becoming the norm. The likes of, um, you know, Jaden Sancho, Phil Foden, Emma Smith-Rowe. Um, yeah, even like, say, like Calvin Phillips, players like that, which we back in the day, either they didn't, we didn't have them in that mould or they weren't favoured at national level, whereas now no, they are. No, exactly. And I think that's all of this underground work that we're not even really seeing that England have put in from the ground up, which Nigeria um, really lack. You know, you need that level of structure from the top in order to help them thrive because Nigeria have dominated youth ball. They've actually won five under-17 World Cups, which is mm. bad. And there were rumours of... Um, players ages being masked so they now do like bone testing <laughs> they, now, they now do bone testing to determine the players ages which is mad but in recent times nigeria won the 2015 and 2013 edition and funnily enough that contains a lot of the stars that they have now so chukweza inhinacho and osimen were part of the 2015 winning side and they're now mm. playing quite well in europe in didi was part of the squad before um, so you can kind of see that, you know, when they are winning on these international successes, um, it probably isn't due to them lying about their age because these players have actually managed to develop and actually alter games in the professional men's game. But it's that level of competition and that 
level of talent that is clearly evident at such a young level, which they're not nurturing correctly. And that ultimately comes from how the Federation are handling these young stars as they go through the system. Yeah, you've you mentioned England DNA. There's also, you know, we've got the France Claire Frontier system, which you've yeah. mentioned we've had pods on before, or AirPod. Um, we also, you know, Germany were championed in the past for kind of this kind of philosophy of bringing through players from the very kind of, well, at least the eight, under 18 level all the way through to the first team and it's still in the same kind of playing style and culture um, and how that's kind of been deemed to be crucial to success, just like how Claire Fontaine has been deemed to be crucial to, to France's success in recent years. And England DNA has been um, kind of referenced as being the reason why England or one of the reasons why England um, is becoming um, a lot better on the international stage than what they were. Um so it seems as if initiatives like this are required or some kind of process or program to those to that end where you're, you're building a culture, you're building a, a system and a philosophy at, at the very kind of lower levels of your international system right through to the top so that you can kind of build over time this, this like, not just, not, just a, not just about bringing the quality players through, but also they're all unified, they're used to playing with each other. But I mean, I don't know in terms of like money, we haven't talked about money yet. And I mean... You know, I mentioned England, I mentioned Germany, I mentioned France. Very, they're wealthy Western nations with wealthy football institutions. Um, you know, something like Clairefontaine system can't be cheap. So, I wonder if that's a factor as well. And in, in, in Nigeria or a country like Nigeria, despite the size of its population and economy, and um, being able to mimic that sort of thing. But given the strife you've mentioned in the federation, I wonder if, regardless of um, of of investment and the, and the availability of money, whether or not there's just a if it even is a consideration. Yeah, money definitely ties into it, but I think there are other federations that have, you know, some of the South American sides, I'm looking at probably the likes of essentially Chile and some other potential teams around there where their economies aren't necessarily as booming as some of the Western countries, and yet they still manage to have a relative conveyor belt of talent. Some of the smaller mm. European nations as well. And I'm aware that Nigeria obviously struggles with things like corruption and allocating of resources and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, you, you would assume more needs to actually be done in terms of actually um, providing that environment for its stars to shine. Because it, the North African sides that have seemed to have got their acts together don't really have that pool of talent, but seem a lot more organized in terms of the Egyptians and the Algerians. And they, they've never... So Egypt have predominantly in recent times dominated the African Cup of Nations because they didn't really have the player pool or talent, but they had the organization from the top down. I know they now mm. have Salah. I'm actually talking about a time before Salah. And even Algeria as well in recent times, they just seem a lot more organised together. And yeah, Nigeria kind of lacked that cohesion, which which uh, starts from the top down. Yeah. And it ties into the next point of dual heritage, heritage woes, which is, you know, migration is unavoidable, happens everywhere. And, you know, unless if you love, you love Brexit, you can't prevent that. Um, <laughs> and, you know, many people, including myself, are dual heritage, which makes it difficult in sport. You know, you always want players to play for who they truly uh, represent. I have quite a controversial opinion on this. I, I actually believe that whoever you represent at youth ball, and under 21 level is who you should represent at seniors. I get it before mm. then, but I'm quite stern on it because I think what you what you tend to really get is players will play at international level for whoever is willing to give them an appearance, but they ultimately may want to represent someone else. Because I'm quite patriotic in that sense. So we're going to touch on England again. You know, I, I, I get why players do it because you get, you know, George Weah, who's the only African player to have won Player of the Year, uh, Ballon d'Or, sorry. And, you know, he was Liberian, so we never saw him at the World Cup. Mm. 
but then you've got people like Jack Grealish and Declan Rice, obviously Jack Grealish, Irish Youth International for quite a few games. Declan Rice had two appearances for Ireland. There's a mm. level there's a level of like, you know, the, the patriotic side in me, which is a bit like did you ever care for playing for Ireland? Because, you know, it, what what happens is, is Ireland, like Nigeria, like probably Wales and Scotland, all become stepping stones for a certain country. Nigeria is normally England, you know, Western African countries such as Ivory Coast and uh, Guadeloupe, which is in the Caribbean, tend to be feeders towards uh, France because obviously they're French-speaking. Algeria as well and Morocco and, yeah. and that sort of stuff. And it kind of draws a line in terms of... I understand why, why players want to do it, um, but this this obviously hinders sides like Nigeria. You know, they, they went to great lengths to secure the likes of Saka and Tammy Abraham, but ultimately lost out. I, I think you, they lose out for two reasons. One, that you know, it's in disarray. I, I can't speak for the other countries I just spoke about, um, like Algeria and Morocco, but, you know, it is in disarray, so I can see why you wouldn't want to do that. But then also as well, it's that case of not providing the right pathway for these youngsters to kind of shine. In more recent times, uh, Michael Elisa Palace had a call-up in March. He's now declined call-up since. He said apparently he wants to represent. He's got a whole host of countries. I think Michael Elise can represent. This is Michael Elise of Crystal Palace. He can represent mm. England, France, Algeria, and Nigeria. Um, so he's got a full selection and he he doesn't want to represent them anymore. Um, and whilst this probably didn't affect the golden era as much, I think what Nigeria kind of needs to do is work much harder at and, and smarter at securing international talent quickly and showing them the path to international ball and showing them that they're a federation that's organised. You spoke about um, Josh Madger. He's actually played for Nigeria. I think he's got one cap. Oh, right, okay. Um, you mentioned Dixon too, who again... British, Nigerian born but British raised. Um, he played about 33 times or so for Nigeria. Um, Adamola Lookman, funnily enough. So this is where Nigeria like are still making the same mistakes. He's declared that he's willing to play for Nigeria. Obviously scored the winner yesterday. Nigeria then haven't called him up to African Cup of Nations. Now Adamola Lookman is 23. He probably wouldn't make the England squad but his other level of talent where if he then put through a run of 18 months of good form he could feasibly make the England side. And then Nigeria then have another problem on their hands where it's like, ah, we've acted too slowly. They acted too slowly and Michael Elise, mm. they called him up in March. This is when he was in the championship with uh, Reading. They didn't, they called him up to the preliminary, dropped him out the preliminary. Then obviously he's moved to Palace. He started the season quite well. He's got more options now. So now he's thinking, oh, actually, do I actually want to represent them or not? And it comes back to this kind of Declan Rice, Jack Grealish kind of scenario, uh, which they need to get better at. Um, you know, there's people like Tossin at Fulham, who they should target. Eze, probably, but he'll be tricky as well, because I know that England have already courted him. You know, would they want to play under such an, an organised federation? You know, that remains to be seen. Yeah, I think it's a great point around, like, your point around, well, if the, if the federation's in strife or the, the national team isn't a good environment to be in, then why would these young lads... Because they are young. They're like, you know, you know how, how old is Bukayo Saka? 20 years old? 19? Yeah. Um, you, you see the pictures of him, and I know he's an exceptional talent, so it's maybe not the best example, I don't know, but you, you saw him at St. James's Park, uh, St. George's Park during the, you know, the during the Euros on, on that bloody in the stupid inflatable unicorns they put in the pool. And mm. it, it created this environment that I really have, one of the reasons I've championed Southgate that a lot of these England players now want to be part of because it's it's really seems like quite quite a happy environment, a good place for, for youth to prosper. And again, these people are so young and they want to be in a full environment. But then 
if the other option for Bukayo Saka, even if he wants to play for Nigeria, is that he has to travel across the world to then be in a, an environment that isn't yeah. um, particularly harmonious and there's problems with getting paid, there's problems with the coaches getting paid and you don't even know who the coach is going to be, then I suppose that would be a good deterrent. So I think it's a, it's a really good point. Yeah, very much so. I think kind of uh, the next point as well to move on to is, you know, finding the next Akocha. So this is like a podcast in itself, which I've wanted to do for a long time. And, you know, many African sides, again, not just Nigeria, lack true eights or old-fashioned tens. Um, I think <clears throat> Nigeria have solely missed an Akocha type in their arsenal. You know, is that down to poor scouting? or training, or is it intrinsically linked to the fact that there aren't enough players of this type produced in Africa? If so, why? Um, you know, the player pool is obviously there because there's so many players, but I think the gaze of European scouts that pluck these African players are usually looking for Yaya Torres, powerful, strong, but technically very gifted, Wilfred Ndidi's, Michaelessians. Mm. Uh, and if they're not that, then they're the next type, which is <clears throat> Didier Drogba's. Powerful, technically gifted strikers, or very quick strikers, Obafemi Martins, Chukweze, um, the multi multitude of wingers in terms of uh, Nicolas Pepe, um, the, the, the list goes on, Samuel Leto as well. And that kind of, you don't get Chavis, Iniesta's, Paul Scholes, you don't get, okay, let's think of someone more modern, Billy Gilmore. There's no way you're going to get someone like Billy Gilmore. Mm coming through in African football because he's not big, nor is he strong. He's not particularly fast from what I've seen. He's just technically very, very good. But there just seems to be a lack of scouting there. And I think that's because of um, the type of prejudice and stereotype that kind of surrounds African players that they scout. I always say this to everyone I speak to and to you as well. Alex Webby would never be playing professional football and definitely not for Nigeria had he been born and raised there. He's not mm. quick. He's got good feet, nor is he particularly strong. He plays wide slash can play inside. He just doesn't have the attributes of what you typically deem in an African footballer, which is why in a Nigerian shirt, he looks a bit different because he's not of the normal profile that you normally see. Um, and I think that I think there's definitely talent that must be getting overlooked. Even JJ Kocha, he was found by accident. So he came to Germany to see his cousin, uh, sorry, his friend, sorry, he's playing in the Bundesliga called Binebi Numa, who's playing in that for a random third division side. One morning, Okocha accompanied Numa to training and he asked to join him. And the coach was so impressed that he invited him back and offered him a contract. A year later, he joined uh, another club and then he joined uh, Bundesliga and a uh, Bundesliga 2 side. And then he had eventually moved to Eintracht Frankfurt in the actual Bundesliga. And that just shows the talent. Uh, I'm sure Okocha is probably talented enough that he, he would have found his path another way. But I'm also not so sure because Okocha, again, lacks predominantly a lot of the attributes that you look for in African fielders, which is a bit stereotype, which I think uh, needs to change. Because imagine now if Okocha never had that trip, would that mean we wouldn't have seen one of Africa's best showmen on the international stage or even in the Premier League? Yeah, and it also means that like, if all the players that are played in Europe are of that profile, that means that, and it depends on the coach, you might opt to, to pick uh, players that are of a lower quality just to have those if they can find them that certain type of profile like you said a billy gilmore type maybe a, a, another type of Wobi to play in certain different styles but if the entire 11 is of a certain profile they might all be playing at top leagues and top clubs in in europe mm. but the balance is not going to be there and you're not going to have the the mixture of player types that allows allows a coach to really like develop a philosophy or a different philosophy or to mm. have a plan b when things aren't going right and 
you know, s- some nations and many nations, you think about France in particular, like they've got access almost to that pool of West African players. And then they've also got access to their own nation. And so therefore the, the amount of player types they've got at international level to pick from are so, is so broad. Um, you think they've got access to the North, North African um, to an extent side as well. So, um, but if, if African clubs and agents, as you kind of allude to, to extend if they if they if they if those clubs in Africa um, and the agents that circle them benefit financially from selling a certain type of player to Europe, then I wonder if there'll ever be an incentive to produce players in in other molds. I'm I'm not sure. Yes, it's a it's a it's a tricky one, and it's something which. Yeah, you're right. You know, is there an incentive? It's not even necessarily an incentive because the profile of players exists there. It's just they're not getting selected. We don't know mm. the risk. It's that notion, right? Where people believe that no matter what type of, no matter how good you are, if you're good enough, you'll make it. But that's not true. I don't think of football. Some people believe that. Some people believe if you're like, if you've got the talent of Oxlade Chamberlain, you will always make it. When actually, I think that a lot of footballers, that's not the case. There is an element of luck. I think yeah, there are some footballers that they're at the level where you know, you, when you're Messi or Ronaldo, you know. No matter where you are, mm. you probably would make it because they're the best players ever. I mean, there's a wide, wide range of footballers that would never necessarily make it had a few things gone differently, which is like a lot of these young African players. I don't even think it's necessarily an incentive. There could be brilliant tens in Ghana or eights, but the coach are thinking, ah, not really for me. You know, that kid then mm. that kid then decides, do I need to play local ball or do I need to then end up working or do I need to pack my bags and do something else? And when they do that, you miss out on that player, you know? Mm. The one guy who's come through recently called uh, Nakwale, he um, was in the same team as Oshiman at the 2015 version of the uh, World Cup and signed for Arsenal. He's like a real big throwback to the old type of crafty eight, very technically gifted. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for him at Arsenal. I think he's now playing um, uh, La Liga, the second division in Spain. For Segunda. Segunda, for Huesca, I believe. Mm. But um, yeah, it, it, he's a, a rare sight indeed. So I think kind of to, to wrap things up is kind of answering the question as will Nigeria actually rise, you know, and when? I think at present, you know, the federation is still hampering the side's progress. I mean, there's no permanent coach at the moment. They've sacked him before the African Cup of Nations, which is actually mad. Um, but they are going for a real purple patch of forwards. I think to have Kalechi Nacho who's playing at Leicester is very good. I um, Emmanuel Dennis, who can't stop scoring at Watford, is also young, mm. 24. I think Kalechi is 24. Oshimen is about 21, 22. You've also got um, A1INI, which is, he's uh, he's in Union Berlin, I believe. So he was on Liverpool's books. Um, he scored, I think, 12 Bundesliga goals. No, 10 Bundesliga goals this year. There's another young forwards. Um, there's loads. There's Chukweza on the, on the wide areas in Didi in midfield. Frank Onyeka, who is at Brentford, who's been playing week in, week out for them. They've got some talented players playing at very good levels, not just... Um, clubs in you know big leagues but you know clubs really pushing for european qualifications some of them and and and, and even higher in some cases with napoli fighting for um the syria um so they've got definitely got a young squad that can grow together but in order to truly rise you know one you need the right man to actually guide them i go out raw i've not really spoken about had dismal football like it was it just wasn't very 
good. The squad selections were questionable and he wasn't really utilising the best out of this young crop. And the Federation also needs to probably do a better job at nurturing these talents. And they haven't really shown that much so far to to suggest that they're going to do that. But I guess you just have to hope. But I'd say the current crop now is as good, if not marginally better than the golden era of the 90s. Perhaps it's a bit top heavy. A lot of very, very good forwards, not so good in terms of maybe centre-half. I mean, Tariba West representing Inter and AC Milan is um, real credibility to have in your defence, whereas they don't really have that now. They've got Troost Ekong, who is regular at Watford. Um, mm. but, you know, Watford aren't the same as AC or Inter. So <laughs> it would be, be interesting to kind of see uh, how far Nigeria go. But if the Federation have a say in it, it won't be very far. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to hopefully seeing a bit of Nigeria in the uh, in the Afcon. I mean, we've talked about the appetite for football in Nigeria. We've talked about the population size, uh, you know, the success of the youth. These are all ingredients for a really really powerful football nation. Um, so that in theory, Nigeria have the the potential to compete with the best sides in the world in the future potentially if they get things right. Um, but you know, that said, success for Nigeria in the short term is is probably not about winning World Cups. It's about you know being more competitive continentally and um internationally what what will the time difference be like with the afcon where is it being staged so cameroon's near nigeria so it's going to be like either an hour ahead or an hour behind i can't i can't think of precisely where it is it, it'll be really close in time difference there so don't worry you'll be able to watch it cool looking forward to to watching it then but yeah thank you etches for that for that so i know you've been wanting to do something um, on the Nigerian national team for a long, long time, and so hopefully um, we'll see some we'll see some victories and some success in the Afcon. Um, but yep, yeah, thank you, um, thank you all for listening. Please continue to follow follow us on Twitter and subscribe with us on all our platforms. Um, thank you guys, and a happy New Year from all of us at Wide Football. Cheers, guys.